0: Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking. Another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there. But if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? This is your boy, Noah Petrie, R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. This is episode 21. Do I And we're going to be getting into it here, folks. And uh, we're going to be going over, of course, this past weekend's fights, which was Corey Sanhagen against Song Yudong. Of course, all the MMA news slash drama that's going on in the MMA sphere. And on top of that, we'll be going over next week's fights, Mackenzie Dern versus Janelle nan and of course my hot take for the week. So, let's not waste any time, guys. Let's jump right into it. The first fight up we have for you is feely against Algio. And this one was kind of debated. Um, of course, we're going to get into that later. It was all because of the third round, but I'm just going to be going over round for round and what I who I thought won the fight at the very end. But the first round obviously goes to Feely. The first thing that I noticed when uh, the fight was going on in that first round was Algeo was kind of feeling himself a little bit too much. A little bit too much showboating. Which he's known to be a little bit of a showman at times. Which, honestly, is fine. Like, if you want to have fun in the octagon and you know be a showman a little bit, that's perfectly fine. But I personally would only do it if you're winning, you're above on the scorecards, um... Not when necessarily when a fight had just began. That's I, I, I never really see the uh, the point of that one, to be honest with you. But in the first round, it definitely goes to Feely. He rocked Algio and I think all around it, it was pretty pretty even for the most part in that first round. But with Feely rocking Algio with a, a right high kick, definitely won him the round. Um the second round was completely different. In that first round, Feely was applying the pressure, really having Algeo's back against the cage, making him work off the back foot. Now, in the beginning of the second round, a little bit of that was going on as well, but then algio starts to pick up the pick up the pace, starts to put that pressure on Feely, stand more towards in the center of the octagon, and at times had Feely's back against the cage. He was utilizing that, that right jab beautifully when he switched stances he would utilize left jab he did land a couple of good right straights but all in all i think he did by far the better work in the second round um now that the controversy comes in the third round in the third round right the third round the first minute and a half is on the feet which i thought algio got the better of the exchanges i think algeo slightly edged out um feely in that third round in regards to striking the first minute and a half then, for the remainder of the fight, uh, Filiu was able to get a takedown. He got an uh, arm triangle, which Algeo was able to get out of it in like 10-15 seconds. Uh, Filiu was able to get his back, then got a rear naked choke, which he was able to sink in for 20-30 seconds, somewhere around there. So, at this point, we're at the 2-minute mark of the fight now feely didn't really do anything off his back for the remainder of the round he did a little bit towards the very very end try to get another rear naked choke but for the most part he just sat there and held on to position he didn't try to advance position he didn't try to you know get another uh, try try to get another submission he again he did towards the very end of the round but for literally two and a half minutes he just sat there in that position, not doing anything, just holding on. He had his arm around his opponent's neck, but he wasn't trying to squeeze or anything. He looked like he was definitely exhausted. And Aljo was just raining down right left hands from his back. And it, were, it wasn't like little pitter-patter shots. They were big left hands, dude. They were big shots. Like It was starting to, to bloody up Feely a lot. I think he landed somewhere around 40, somewhere around there which is a ridiculous number to just be hitting your opponent when they have your back. Now, here's the thing, right? Some people are going to say it's Feely's round because Feely at the end of the day got Aljio's back and it just doesn't make any sense you have uh, you have opponent's back when you're when uh and you lose the round. Like you're in a more advantageous position. But the score the judges criteria of scoring you have to even though us personally we might have a different kind of viewpoint of how a fight should play out and who should win a fight at the end of the day it's all it's all in regards to what the judges view and their judging criteria and number one the judging criteria is damage so in the very beginning of that third round the first minute and a half goes Algio, then Yes, Feely did take him down. Did get his back for a little while. But didn't do anything for another two minutes and a half. Algio was landing damaging shots. Big damaging shots to Feely. From the back. Out of all places. He was landing some some devastating ground to pound, man. Seriously, off his back. And when you look at it from a judging criteria... And when damage being the number one aspect of the judging criteria and how they t- score fights, you would give the fight to Algio. Which, personally, after looking at it, if I had to make a decision right now who I think won the round, I would say Algio. Granted, it's hard to give someone a round when someone has their back. But, yes, you try to get a submission twice. The first time... Arm triangle last 10 seconds. The second time, rear naked choke, the opponent got out of it. And you did nothing for the remainder of the round. Literally, for the, th- the remainder three minutes, you didn't do anything. And on top of that, if he would have got the rear naked choke, Aljo get out of it, he would have stayed in that position. But Aljo didn't land any ground and pound. Then I would still give it the Feely. Because even though he didn't necessarily do anything with the takedown... um, He was still in a better advantageous position. Overall, did more work. But when you have someone like Aljo who is landing that ground and pound, even though his opponent took his back and Feely didn't do anything for the remainder of the round, I can't, from a judging criteria standpoint, knowing what the judges look for in a fight, give you the round. Because yes, you got your opponent's back, but you didn't do anything afterwards for the most part. But there was minutes on end where you just stood there in that position while you were getting hit. So I think and, and Chris Lee is the, the judge that gave the fight to Algeo because it ended up being a split decision. And I respect Chris Lee's opinion, to be honest with you. I can 100% see how he got the outcome to the fight. Here's my thing with judging, right? If, a, if, a, if I think a fight went one way and the judges think a fight went another way, I'm not necessarily going to be upset. What I would be upset about is if the scoring just makes no sense. Like, for instance, if they give someone a round with that clearly they were losing that round. And you're just like, what the fuck were you looking at? Then now when I will be upset. Or, you know, if they give someone a fight but it really didn't make any sense from a judging criteria standpoint. You know, or something along those lines where it just literally makes any doesn't make any sense. Like I'm trying to see it from their angle, and I'm just like, eh, eh, I just can't put it together. For this one, I can logically put it together, and it makes sense as to why Chris Lee was scored the fight for Algio. Honestly, I might have as well, to be honest with you. Now, at the moment, if I was a judge, I probably would have just did a draw for that last round. The first one, Feely, the second one, Algio. The third one, yeah, Aldo did better work, but Feely was on his back and you know almost got a rear naked choke and in, in another, in another uh, arm uh, arm triangle submission. So I probably would have did fuck it. It's ten ten. It kind of evens itself out in that way, which would have been a split draw. I'm not opposed to draws in MMA. I actually like draws. It should be more draws in MMA. It's extremely rare that we get a draw. So I think that fight kind of warranted a draw, but I can see how the fight would have been. Given to Algio, if they would have gave it to Algio. Now, Philly ended up winning and he complained about it afterwards. And the reason why I'm talking about it is he's saying, you know, I got my opponent's back and, you know, what the fuck are these uh, judges seeing and that kind of stuff. But I I have to say, I disagree with him here because I 100% see where the judges, where Chris Lee in particular, is coming from, giving the third round and overall giving the fight to Algio. So, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 there's controversy, but not necessarily really in my regard. Again, I can, if, if, like, for instance, Chris Lee, some people are saying, how the fuck Chris Lee gave the fight to Algio? If it didn't make any sense, then I'll be upset. But I can see the reasoning behind Chris Lee giving that scorecard. So that's the reason why I'm really not upset. Honestly, at the end of the day, I kind of agree with him man i think he just did overall more work we have we have to understand the gr- the judging criteria back in the day was mostly centered around grappling as in if you were able to get your opponent down even though you did no work and you just sat there laid and praying your opponent the the fighter would get the, the the win because they took their opponent down and they held him down you know, the, the the other opponent couldn't do anything. So, obviously, it goes to the guy who was able to hold the other person down. We had too much of that going on in MMA. So, they changed the judging criteria so that it's damage. One, it will make the fights more entertaining so we can stop the lay and pray. Because lay and prays are not casual friendly. And on top of that, um, it would stop, it, it, it stop the overall lay and pray mentality that I just got to you know take people down and hold them down because at that point grapplers are going to be winning everything because once they get their opponent down they're able to just fucking lay in their opponent they're going to be winning rounds so striking would be basically a, a thing of the past for the most part if we continue that rule so they kind of overcorrected an issue that they were having at the time which was having everything centered now around damage so now grappling is kind of not even really scored for the most part well it is scored but it's underappreciated getting someone's back is a big deal almost getting a submission is a big deal but I'm looking at it from the view of what the judges criteria of scoring is now which I agree that Algeo should have won the fight based on those metrics and I haven't listened to anyone else in the MMA sphere podcast wise who also has talked about it so far but I'm definitely going to later, and I really want to see what their opinion is on the matter as well. I know DC's opinion because he was on a broadcast. He was saying that, um, you know, the, the, you you shouldn't give someone the fight if someone else was got their back the entire time. From I mean, from a you know, jujitsu standpoint and grappling standpoint, which he is a wrestler, I can understand that. But it it definitely goes deeper than that from judging criteria standpoint. So at the end of the day, this just goes, this just goes to show you that, dude, judging MMA is hard, man. It's really not that easy. It's not the easiest job in the world. Obviously, it's not the hardest job in the world. You have people like surgeons and fucking that kind of stuff. But it's not as easy as we made to believe. And now I'm going to get into uh, Nui N- 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 against Rodriguez. And this fight was just pure madness, man. It was one of those fights that when you saw it on paper, you'd know it was going to be crazy. And that fight was crazy. In the first round, in the opening minute of the round, um, Rodriguez tries to shoot for a takedown. Nigga Jawani lands a knee. And listen, I've been watching MMA for a very long time. I, when it comes to cuts, when it comes to, you know, bone breakages, I don't, it doesn't phase me anymore. I basically don't see it all. But this cut was bad. This cut was literally right below the middle of the eyebrows, right above the, uh, the bridge of the nose. And it was fucking wide, man. It had to be at least an inch wide. A dash all the way around. It was bad. Dude, it was not good. I'm kind of shocked that the, the ref let the fight continue after that first round. He took a look at it. Granted, they did a good job in closing it. The cut man, he, he, he had to prove his worth <laughs> this last event. Because in order to close that cut, dude, and have it stayed shut, it's... it's borderline impossible he can close it but he's just going to open up again which he did a good job closing it shout out to the cut man who was on the job for that day he was able to close it effectively um that the cutman the the doctor took a look at it went to the went to mark smith who was a referee says you know be very wary of this basically like if a finish doesn't happen call the fight because it's it's one of those cuts that is just going to get worse. It's going to start leaking again. It's going to get in the fighter's eyes, and they won't be able to see, etc. So it, it really doesn't make sense to continue to fight. If they would have stopped the fight right there in that first round after the first round, I would have totally understand. Now towards the end of the first round, Rodriguez did rock Jawani and you know had him hurt. So, going into the second round, Rodriguez had no time to waste. He knows for a fact that this fight can be stopped at any given moment. So, he's going to try to get for a finish. seemed he seemed a little off in the beginning of that second round. Maybe he was very tired. Maybe he was still dazed because towards the end of the first round, he did get rocked pretty bad. But, Rodriguez was able to get the TKO finish, man. And it was super, super impressive. A disgusting cut. The fact that he was able to, one, still be on his feet after that brutal knee but you know have the mental wherewithal to realize that this fight can be called at any moment i gotta get the finish and that's exactly what he did now i'm going to be going over the main event Sandhagen against yadon and San is actually one of my favorite fighters of all time he is an absolute joy to watch The man, especially as of now, can really do it all. He can grapple. His defensive grappling has gotten very good. His striking is fucking phenomenal. Now, the one thing he is lacking in his game is that his punches just doesn't have any power. He's more so of a volume guy. He's going to keep hitting you and hitting you and hitting you until he eventually puts you away. Or just outclasses you, which he's done to so many fighters already. So, as of last week, I was talking about this fight. And I didn't know who the fight would go to. Honestly, I had it. If I had to put money on it, I was going to say Sanhagen because overall he has a better experience. And he's been in five-round fights before, which was the first time that Yadong has been in a five-round fight. But Yadong is a big puncher. He does have some really good cardio. Um, he, he he is really good at applying pressure, and he could possibly put Corey Sanhagen on the back foot, which Corey doesn't really excel at too much when he's on the back foot. More so than when he's applying. he's the one applying the pressure. So I, I thought that he had a very good chance at possibly beating Corey Sanhagen. And that the odds should have been closer than what they were. I think Corey was a, was a minus 240 favorite somewhere around there. So not anything too substantial, but was a clear favorite for the, uh, the betting odds. And in that first round, the first round definitely goes to Song. Song all around did better work. Um, all around did better striking. Now, what Sanhagen did do in the first round that was very, very smart was that he tried to get a takedown. He initiated grappling, and he did it in the second and third as well. But of course, Sanhagen is not necessarily known for his takedowns. He's more so of a striking guy. But the fact that you can implant that thought into your opponent's mind and make them realize that I can do this too, and this is a different, this is another facet of my game, there was multiple times where. Corey would try to fake level changes, and Song Yung-dong would completely fall for it. There was one where he completely went all the way down and went into a defensive wrestling position. There was times where he ducked his head a little too much, which Corey could have timed the knee perfectly. I don't know why he didn't. But either way, in the first round, I give it the Song. Second round, Corey did get rocked a little bit in the first in the, in the opening stages of the round. He didn't get dropped. He kind of stumbled there, but was able to recover very very quickly maybe it was just you know he was off footing or something along those lines but i did th- i did think he did all of around the better work same thing with the third round and the second round he did land a nasty elbow which opened up a gash across the eyebrow for songy dong a very bad gash i wouldn't say as bad as the, the co-main events cut but this one was was definitely disgusting in its own right <laughs> so that that uh and it, and when you're in a five-round fight, a cut is the last thing you want. Because you're going to be perfectly healthy, good to go, perfectly fine, you know, in your right wits and are capable of fighting. But if the cut gets too bad, the cut, the doctor is going to stop it, you know, we, for for logical or rightful reasons. But that thing was gushing out blood. It was clear that it was starting to get in your Yudong's eyes a little bit. And in a third round... Corey Sanhagen, I think, clearly won that round. I think he clearly won the fourth round. There was someone on Twitter who said that Song Yudong won three out of the four, which, what the fuck are you watching? Maybe I can see it being 2-2. Maybe you can give Song Yudong the second round because he stumbled uh, Corey Sanhagen, but then again, he wasn't rocked. He was able to do overall the better work towards the towards the End of that round, and in the round in general. So maybe you can give it two two. There were two judges who did give it two two. The first two rounds for Yadong, the second two rounds for Corey Sanhagen. It was clear that story hit that Corey Sanhagen was running away with the fight in the fifth round. Um, the fourth round was clearly his. Yadong's never been in the fifth round before. Corey Sanhagen has that experience. On top of that, the cut was not only getting bigger, but the area was getting swollen and the blood was getting into Yadong's eyes. So for most people looking in, it's 3-1 Corey Sanhagen, but even if you had a 2-2 Corey Sanhagen with the cut being bigger, with Yadong never been in a 5 round fight, with Corey having that experience, with Corey winning the last 2 rounds, and with the blood being in Yadong's eyes, I didn't see him winning that last 5th round. I think the cut man did a very good job just overall stopping the fight. He gave him an extra two rounds after the cut even happened. It was visibly getting worse. Blood was getting in your dong's eyes, which when blood is starting to get in your eyes, man, it's it's game over because you can't see. Literally, blood is so thick. It's not like water. If it gets in your eyes, you can't see. So you had one guy fighting with one eye. It just, it, it didn't make sense. So shout out to the, uh, to the the doctor for that, that UFC event because even though some bad cuts did happen, which most doctors would have stopped the fight right away, he let it continue a little bit more, gave the fans what they wanted, but still was responsible and called the fight when it needed to be called. So shout out to him. But one of the highlights I want to take away from the main event was that we all know Corey Sanhagen is very good in regards to striking. One of the best in the division. One of the best in the UFC, to be honest with you something that he very much improved upon of course his grappling too but i would say his grappling defense his scrambling got very good now as we saw with the dillashaw fight dillashaw was able to take Corey down but dillashaw didn't do anything with the takedowns he just kind of laid on Corey, which we alluded to in the first fight of this uh in this event and how that's just not going to cut it so he was able to take Corey down just lay on corey and corey was content for staying in that position in this fight this wasn't the case there was times where your dog was able to take him down but corey immediately knew to get right back on his feet and start scrambling again to get back on his feet and even at times would get your dog against the cage and start initiating some grappling of his own so it's it's clear that he definitely is that's something that he really wanted to work on and uh, even though Yudong's not necessarily known for, for his, his, uh, his wrestling his grappling, but it's still good to see that Corey Sandhagen didn't do the same mistakes as before and learn from his mistakes and not just being content to stay in a position like that. So that was one of the, uh, the highlights and takeaways that I, I take away from this event. Overall, the event was okay. It wasn't terrible. We did have some finishes. It wasn't great, to be honest with you. When it... On paper, it doesn't look that good. On paper, it didn't look that good at all. And usually when a, when a card doesn't look that good on paper, it's going to perform extremely well. That's typically the case 90% of the time, 80% to 90% of the time. This was just that 10 to 20% where it just didn't look that sexy on paper and it just wasn't that sexy uh, watching it either. So uh, they're not going to be all, all first-round picks. As Will Ferrell said in the other guys. But now I want to get into MMA news slash drama. And the first one up is... There was a... The press conference for Anderson Silva against... Oh, fuckface. What's his name? Against Jake Paul boxing match. Please, Anderson Silva, don't lose that one. But Chael was there. And him and, you know, Anderson Silva kind of had a heart-to-heart. were buddy-buddy. And Anderson Silva was saying, you know... Why do you never come to the barbecue? This, this, and that. And Chael was like... because. Anxious Silva invited Chill over his house. Chill was like, "I didn't know, you know, you if you were being serious, and I didn't know how your wife would feel because I made, you know, you know, I, I I was being, he was being mean towards his wife and should talking against his wife during a time where they were fighting, you know, for that bout years ago, ten plus years ago. I want to say right around ten years ago, somewhere around that timeline, but you know, I didn't know if your wife would still be angry and you know." He was like, I didn't know if it was in Brazil. And Anderson was like, no, definitely not in Brazil. They'll kill you if you go there. And everyone started laughing. And it was just cool to see that, you know, two guys who generally didn't like each other years ago came around to being buddy-buddy and and friends now. So, and Chael even acknowledged that my career, nothing about Anderson and, you know, and, and a bunch of other stuff. So, it was just overall cool to see him, man. Maybe we'll see that one day with DC and... And John Jones or Khabib and Connor, even though I highly, highly, highly doubt that ever happened between those four guys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was just an overall cool thing to see. Now, before I get into this one, I have to give a little bit of a backstory. So, of course, we all know UFC 279. There was a complete drop-off and the fights that were scheduled and what happened it was kind of a shit show we had a brawl backstage people were missing weight. we had to make last minute fights and at the end of the day everything turned out better than expected i would say better than the original card was going to be now there were some people who took to it and said that they know that the ufc purposely did this that there was no back backstage brawl or any of that other stuff and they just because they saw that maybe you know the Shemai of nate Diaz main event wasn't going to sell too well or wasn't selling trajectory-wise because you could buy the pay-per-view before the fight. Enough of those buys were in happening where they can calculate that it would be a good return on investment or it would sell that well. So they were they took out Shemaev and they put Tony Ferguson because they know he's a bigger name. So Schaub was just saying maybe the UFC did that. Uh, Pat Miletic, who was a former MMA fighter, um, former UFC champion actually, Former coach, I think, no, actually, I think he still coaches now. He used to have a, a very prominent MMA gym, uh, military Fighting Systems, which was the best MMA gym in the world at one point, several several years ago, um, in the early 2000s. But he's not necessarily the brightest man on the boat, to be honest with you. He did the whole January 6th thing, raiding the Capitol. He was the heir. He was one of them. So, and not the brightest guy in the batch, clearly. Not to not to put anything past old good old Pat, but um, yeah. Shop said that uh, Pat Milicic said that a few other people said that the media was asking Dana White these questions, and basically Dana White said that these guys are idiots, etc. He didn't really go too much into it or rip a new one. He just said these guys are idiots, and Shop really took the defensive on this one. I was kind of shocked that he really went this far. He was saying how you know Dana White wears tight jeans and rock sneakers now and is brolic and thinks he's cool but then again that's what shop does it really doesn't make any sense there and he was saying how dana white's a low budget Vince mcmahon which was kind of hilarious um and just like really trying to go off on dana which it didn't make any sense to me because dana just called him stupid like oh like that was a stupid thought like he really he didn't rip him a new one he didn't rip a new asshole he was just like yeah it's a it's a dumb idea you know like these guys are stupid. That clearly didn't happen, which I doubt that happened, to be honest with you, for the fact that, from a marketing standpoint, that's a nightmare. From a business standpoint, that's a nightmare. Now, if they would have just out of nowhere canceled the event, then change it a month later, then that's a different story. Then we can, you know, raise some eyebrows. But Imagine spending all that marketing dollars on Shamayev, on Nate Diaz, building Shamayev, building the promos, and then having everything switch in the last minute. That's not what you want in a favorable situation. That's not at all. So I'm I'm 100% almost 100% positive that that just wasn't the case for Dana White and the UFC. But I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with making the speculation and giving your opinion. There's nothing wrong with that at all, in my opinion. But um, I was just shocked at how much of the defensive Shaab was going on, you know, Dana White for making such a passing comment. It really didn't make sense. But then again, Shaab has been going through a lot this year. It really hasn't been his year. So maybe with, you know, people in the MMA community already not liking him and all the backlash and shit and that kind of stuff that's happening, you know, with his business and his personal life this year, maybe it just you know pushed him over the edge a little bit, which he needs to uh, get out of the comment section and you know maybe take some time off social media if, if something like that is starting to rile him up a little bit. Then we have Joe Rogan saying if Dana White leaves and retires, then he's gone as well, which makes sense. You know Joe Rogan's only in the UFC basically because Dana White. Um, Actually, it's false. I think he started before Dana White, um, came around. But the reason why he stood so long in the UFC, it's definitely because Dana White. That much is for sure. They're best friends, known each other for you know decades now. And with people giving a hard time to Joe Rogan cr- criticizing his commentary, if Dana White were to leave, they probably would get a give, get away with Joe Rogan anyway because uh. With uh, you know the controversy of his podcast and the controversy of his commentary, it just wouldn't make sense to keep him around. So it kind of makes sense that if Dana White leaves, Joe Rogan will leave, which I see Dana White never leaving. I think Dana White will be like Bob Abram, Abram, which is a boxing promoter, famous boxing promoter, who is like 90 years old, still putting on fights. I see Dana White being the exact same way. So expect Joe Rogan to be around for a while. Now we have Tanner Bowser, who actually fought in his main card. He lost his decision. He was saying how fighters who need sport psychologists are weak. Now he goes on to give a, a lengthy explanation for this and still kept his backing into what he the comment that he made beforehand. He was saying, listen, if you're suffering through depression or suicidal thoughts or anything like that, definitely go to psychologist, definitely go to therapist. That's perfectly fine. He's specifically saying people who need a sports psychologist. A sports psychologist is a little different from your overall regular psychologist, regular therapist. Your regular therapist, your regular psychologist is going to go over the, the current things that are happening in your life, your troubles, etc. A sports psychologist is a psychologist specifically because you're an athlete and you're playing a high-level sport. So it's like getting out of your own head and... um. You know, fighting or a good example of this is Sun Sonnen. Chael Sonnen had to go to a sports psychologist because all the big fights that he ever lost, he got submitted by triangle choke, which is weird. And he thought maybe there's just something mental blocking that is just causing that for some weird reason. So he went to a sports psychologist and try to clear up that issue see if there's you know any psychological underlying factors etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's kind of a sports psychologist someone who's going to get you into the mindset it's you know the motivated good to go mindset to compete at the highest levels of your individual sports he's saying people who need a sports psychologist a week because when you look at the guy who's already motivated who's already good to go you know who, who, who has that that drive to be the best versus someone who needs a sports psychologist, the person who doesn't need that is technically mentally stronger, which I can see that point of view. I'm not necessarily saying it's wrong, but here's the thing, bro. Whatever helps you win, whatever helps you perform your best, do it. Like, I, who am I to call someone weak? You know, who am I to call someone mentally weak or mentally strong? So if if you're in a dry spell, because here's the thing, right? Combat sports, it's so, it's different from every other sport because it's solely dependent on you. One is fighting, so it's primal in that regard. And two is solely dependent on you. It's not dependent of a team. So if you lost, it's entirely on you. If you get viciously knocked out in front of your family, in front of thousands of people, that was entirely on you. So imagine if you're a fighter and you're constantly just taking L's. Eventually... You're just not going to feel that same drive and you're just not going to be as motivated and you're going to be doubting and questioning yourself because look at the the track record that you're currently accumulating. So I can see why if that's the case for some fighters and they get a sports psychologist, to get them back in the right frame of mind would be very important. So that being said, whatever works for you, works for you. If you want to get a sports psychologist, Then, and that makes you perform better, fine. If you don't want to, and that makes you perform better, fine. At the end of the day, Tanner lost the decision. So like, uh, (laughs) you know, so it's like, hey, you're talking shit that people are mentally weak, but then you lose your last bout. It's not necessarily the best look, but I'm not necessarily agreeing. I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying I see his point of view, and I don't really care. Whatever works for you, works for you. Now, Here's something I am gonna criticize. Alex Pereira shells off his bows, his bow and arrow skills. And people are saying it's super impressive. Here's the thing. I shoot a bow. A 50 pound recurve bow. I haven't shot in a while, but I'm pretty fucking good at it. Now I haven't shot in a while, so I'll be a little rusty. But when I was shooting, I was pretty fucking good at it. That being said, what he was able to do with his bow really wasn't that impressive. And I'm not trying to shit on it. I saw the video and it's really not that impressive. This is what he does. One, he has a longbow. Which longbows are the easiest bow to shoot. Longbows are the easiest bow to shoot. It goes longbows, compound bows, recurve bows. So l- number one, longbows is the easiest bow to shoot. On top of that, this is what he did. He had a soccer ball. He volleyed the soccer ball. He might have he volleyed the soccer ball like 6-7 feet in the air. From a distance of like 6 to 10 feet. It really wasn't that far away. At most 15 feet. At the very most 15 feet. So he volleyed a soccer ball. 10, I mean, he volleyed a soccer ball like 7 feet in the air. From 10 to 15 feet, 6 to 15 feet away in distance. And shot it with a longbow. That's not that impressive. I have to tell you, it's not that impressive. One, because it's not far. And two, it's all about timing. Is he a bad marksman? No, I'm not going to say he's a bad marksman. Like, you do have to have some talent and some skill level in order to do that. But is it the most skillful thing with a bow i have ever seen? No, not by a long shot. It's really... It's not that impressive. And the only reason why I'm shitting on it is because MMA Twitter was, like, losing their shit and, and fucking cumming all over themselves, like... um. <laughs> like uh like Randy Marsh in the episode of South Park. The second time I'm talking about this in this podcast. But they're just losing their shit over, you know, this 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 video of him shooting the bow, which it really wasn't that impressive. And anyone who wants to smoke, I can put up a video of me shooting a bow. I was shooting from hundred feet away. It was the first shot of the day, and I hit almost center mass in the uh the target. I was like six inches off. That's far more impressive than volleying a soccer ball five feet in the air, 10 feet away from me and hitting it. That's pretty fucking easy. So, yeah. Again, I'm not trying to shut them. I'm just trying to say it's really... It's, it, they're going a little too hard saying that it's the most impressive thing they ever saw. But um, then I want to go into USADA. Apparently, it has been... You know, because USADA, before I even get into it, USADA is a company that tests all the UFC fighters for steroids, for any banned substances, right? And they do this by routine testing multiple times a year. Literally, it's involuntary. So they can pull up to your house at 2 a.m. to test you. You got to let them in. You have to. You can't say, you cannot let them in. Because if you don't, then um, they, you cannot be booked for a fight for like a year or some shit like that, or some penalty. So they can pull up to your gym, your workplace, your, your gym, your workplace, where you live. They can pull up anywhere, any time of the day and test you. Which they've done on multiple occasions with a bunch of different fighters. But since it's a publicly, this is a public company, you can go to the website and see who's being tested. When's the last time they were tested? What's the latest sample they were tested? And from what we've seen in the USIDA website, Conor McGregor hasn't been tested in a year, which we all know the breakage of the leg, his leg breaking, um, happened right around a year ago. Now, the reason that they wouldn't test Conor McGregor in a year is because steroids and those kind of substances would actually benefit Conor McGregor. Not just necessarily steroids. A bunch of other banned substances. Would help Conor McGregor with his injury. It would help him recover faster. Help him recover better. So I'm guaranteeing you. That's the that's the reason why. They haven't tested McGregor in a year. Just so that. That he can get juiced up. He can heal the leg. And once the leg is healed and everything. And he's about to fight, he's about to do a fight in. Three months or so. Then they'll test him again. To see if he's on any substance currently. But it was clear. You know, Conor McGregor looks fucking huge right now. It was clear that homeboy was on roids. It was 100% obvious that he was on roids. He's clearly using something. And it's definitely because of the breakage of the leg. So I'm not trying to say. The breakage of the leg justifies it it shouldn't because there's other fighters who are also going through injuries and they're getting tested so he shouldn't be an example of it but it just goes to show you how much of a bullshit system the usada program is because it claims that you know it stopped you know cheating in mma which has no scientific backing for this claim at all um i guarantee you people still cheat even though there's a system to try to catch cheaters, cheaters are always going to find different ways to cheat. It's just how the game is played. Um, and on top of that, they're not—they they don't have to legally announce when they caught someone cheating. Because back in the day, when you saw the first guy rolled out, people were getting popped left and right, literally like every week, someone was getting popped using you know banned substances. So they haven't done that. They—they they have got away for that for a while now. And it when someone does get popped for assistance, it takes two years for uh for for them to be eligible to come back into the sport again. So they're banned for the sport for two years. So be very, very weary of fighters who take two years off, two and a half years off out of nowhere for weird reasons, just to come back to fighting again. So be 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 very cautious on that. I'm not saying they're test, I'm not saying they're they're on steroids, they're on roids, but I'm just saying keep your eyes open. Have skeptical hippo eyes. But it just go again, just gonna show you how much of a bullshit system the Usada program is. You're not testing fighters. I mean, you're not testing Conor McGregor because he's a big money fighter, and you you need him to sell pay-per-views, but you're testing everyone else. So it, it's just it's just bullshit. Now I want to go over Aldo announces Jose Aldo announces his retirement and Usually, I don't go over retirement um, in MMA for the fact that eh, you, MMA fighters, they retire for three months and come back. But if I, I, since Aldo's a legend, I really have to go over his career, which it kind of sucks because when you look at the, the latest stretch of his career, which at 135 was actually performing very, very, very well, um, he's hissed in at 145, towards the end was a little rocky. But, dude, he was undefeated for, you know, he had a win streak, a crazy win streak for like six years, man. And he was the man in WEC. He was the man in the, in the UFC when he got balled out by, by, uh, by Zufa, LLC, when WEC got balled out by Zufa in the UFC. Um, for a while there, he was the man at 145. He was the face. He was the pound for pound best fighter in the world. Course, you know, the McGregor thing happened, he's able to get the title back. You know, he had a very up and down career towards the later ends, the later stages of his career. But um, dude, he, he's an absolute legend. Uh, most will regard him as the overall pound-for-pound go at 145. I personally don't do that. I don't believe that, but he's definitely within the top three, no matter who you argue. Um, and he had such a fucking amazing career, man. And I'm happy that. Even though I think he won his last fight against Marab, which if he would have won, he would have got a second title shot at 135. At this, you know, later stages of his career, which is fucking unheard of. I'm happy that he's going out on his own terms. He did lose his last fight; it was very close. I thought he won, and he's he's going out before you know. He he's one of those older fighters who are. Getting viciously knocked out by the younger guys, so I'm happy that he's choosing to go out on his own his his own terms. He would definitely be a UFC Hall of Famer. Now I want to get into the picture predictions portion of the podcast, and we're going to be going over UFC Fight Night Dern versus Yan. Now I'm going to be going over Dern versus Yan, Yan Xiaonan, and Dern has a very good chance in this fight because. We saw what Carla was able to do on the ground against Yan Xiaonan. She was able to put a real beating on Yan Xiaonan. Then again, that's Carla Sparza, and Carla Sparza's grappling is—I ex- mean, Carla Spars's wrestling is extremely well. It's the best in that division. Dern doesn't have that level of wrestling. She is a very good grappler. She is a very good submission specialist. But here's how I have the fight going: If Dern can't get Yan Xiaonan to the ground in the first round, Darren's going to take a beating. A very bad beating. I personally don't see Mackenzie Darren being champion in this division ever. Um, I I just think that skill set wise, striking and wrestling wise, she has improved in her striking a little bit. But wrestling wise and everything else, I just think that it, she just, even though she's a fucking jiu-jitsu ace and she's beautiful as fuck, but I don't think that uh, I, I just don't see her being champion in this division. Especially when you look at No, all the heavy hitters in the division that is already there. And now we're going to go for my hot take for the week. And my hot take for the week is super random, but it's something that I thought of the other day. And I think it makes perfect sense. I personally think DC should be next in line to run the UFC after Dana White. And the reason that I say that is because one, it's not going to happen it's not going to happen. Dana White is already grooming. I'm not going to say grooming because it makes Dana sound like a pedophile. But he's <laughs> that's the only word that comes to mind. But uh, he's he's currently grooming someone for that position just in case, you know, that Dana White decides leaves leave or if anything happens. It's not Sean Shelby who is a matchmaker for the UFC. It's another guy. I'm blanking out his name. Maybe it will pop in later on. But it's that guy. Now, that guy is a very much... Not like Dana White at all. He's the exact opposite of Dana White. He's not very loud. Not very outspoken. Kind of plays behind the shadows. He's more like a Scott Coker kind of figure. Now, I think DC will be a great fit in regards to being next in line to run the UFC. Because one, everyone loves DC. All the fighters love DC. Everyone loves DC. He's a two-division champion. Um, He's a a, a two-time Olympic gold wrestler. Um, two-time Olympic, uh, two-time Olympic wrestler. Uh, I think he won gold once. Um, he's very outspoken. So the thing about the the Dana White that I can't imagine anyone else but Dana doing the job because Dana is just super outspoken. He'll tell you how it is. He's you know will always defend the UFC above over everything. He is just solely focused on money. He's a very good promoter. I'll give him that. He's a very, very good promoter. Say what you want about Dana White, the man is very good at doing his job. But I can't imagine someone who is very soft and and you know more want to play behind the shadows and that kind of stuff being the face of the UFC, because the UFC it is kind of like it has this brand identity of like. I don't want to say far-right conservatism, but a lot of the people who are in, in, in MMA are super far-right, man, or super conservative. So those people who are, you know, very outspoken, you know, believe in the freedom of speech and First Amendment and a bunch of other stuff and, like, would go to battle at any given point. And it's just, like, the, the overall dynamic of the, uh, the fan base of the UFC and kind of like the brand of the UFC, which... It, it, it's just fighters, the fighters in the UFC or fighters in MMA in general. A lot of them are very, you know, out very conservative in that exact same manner. So I'm not saying DC is like that, but DC can be very outspoken. Can you know talk to the media? Can give his opinions and his hot takes in that same kind of facet, the same way that Dana White does. Not only that, but DC has a unique standpoint because he was a former fighter. So he knows exactly how it is being in the octagon. Not only that, he's one of the greatest fighters ever. He's easily top 10 greatest fighters ever. So, And he's well liked. So I just think he checks all the boxes in that regard. Again, do I think DC would be a the next line to run the UFC? No, but I do think that DC should probably be groomed. Excuse me, it's the only word I could come up with. Should be groomed to higher executive positions in the UFC. But that goes episode 21 of R6 MMA Talk The fight after the fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. You can find me on Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other major um, podcasts, listening softwares, et cetera, et cetera, channels. I don't know what the fuck to call it. Dude, you, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, all those other avenues that you could listen to podcasts on if you want to interact with me on 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 uh, social media it's instagram noah underscore a underscore Petri, and we have on twitter noah petrie r6 looking forward to talking to you guys next week enjoy the fights peace out